Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. We'll be studying verses 10 through 17. Exodus chapter 4, 10 through 17. You find that on page 47 of the Bibles provided for you, just two books in from the beginning of the Bible. We'll be looking at Genesis this evening, studying the catechism question, question number nine. If that's not your practice to come on Sunday evening, we encourage you to finish your day of worship that way. Very different service spanning the full gap of styles in Christendom, and we, we love that service. Please come back this evening. This is the, these are the last two of Moses' excuses before God doesn't entertain any more of them. And we've uh, looked at a number of them already, and with each one we've noted that God answers all of Moses' excuses for why he can't answer God's call to return to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let his people go. He's, he's answered every one of those excuses or every one of those protests with his own character. Uh, Moses, whatever you're, you think you're lacking, I will more than supply with who I am. The conversation gets especially tense with these last two. But in its becoming so, we see all the more clearly a merciful God who deals with sinful, recalcitrant people like Moses and like we are too. Look with me, please, at Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please, please, send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your Brother, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, would you open our eyes to see things we are prone to disbelieve? Would you open our hearts to be transformed by your spirit, either by conversion or by fresh faith. And would you open our lives to be those vessels through which the power of God is made manifest in weakness, that you, Lord Jesus, would be the obvious answer to the world's needs through us, even as you meet ours and enable us to meet theirs. 
We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for His sake and God's people said together, Amen. In the city where I previously ministered, there was a family who must have taught every family in Augusta how to swim. They started a business when their children were teenagers and they did it as a as a micro-enterprise for their children to have something to earn money with in the summers, but uh, it became so successful that their children continued doing it even into their adult years. They taught lots and lots and lots of children, even adults, how to swim in their backyard pool. When we arrived in that uh, city, our youngest was three years old and uh, just turned three, and they worked with children beginning even younger than, than two or three to teach them, basically, at that age, how to fall into the pool and survive. Uh, That if they fell in accidentally, or even if they jumped in, that they knew how to hold their breath, how to make their way to the surface, how to paddle over to to the ladder and get to safety. They worked with them intensely for several hours every day, every day, for a couple of weeks, until they were ready for graduation. And here was the graduation exercise. Uh, most parents were not allowed in to see the graduation exercise. You'll understand why in a moment, but they allowed me in, and uh, I was able to observe. What they did is take the children to the deep end of the pool where there was a diving board. One of the instructors was in the deep end. The other was in the, on, the, on the backside of the diving board behind the child walking ever so cautiously out to the tip of the diving board. And the instruction was, when I count to three, one, two, three, you jump. Every child protested. It was like walking out on a gangplank. They inched their way out. My child kept going to the end of the line. She kept just very, being very deferring, letting everybody go ahead of her. And she finally, then they finally made it out on the end of the gangplank. And they would count one, two, three, no movement from the child. And then splash, the instructor would push him into the pool. They would come up sputtering and crying and blinking the water out of their eyes and then paddle over to the ladder. And when they got on dry land, they would say, I did it. I did it. Now, how does the instructor know they could do it? The instructor knew, was confident they could do it. They had trained them to do it. They had enabled those students to do that. It wasn't their own doing. They had been enabled. To every one of Moses' protests, God says not, oh, I understand, Moses, this is a tough thing. Nobody's ever done this kind of thing before. Tell the most powerful man in the world, let my people go, your major economic engine. I understand. I understand. We'll work through this. He doesn't say that. To every one of Moses' protests, I'm not eloquent. I, who am I going to tell them sent me? They're not going to believe me. God says, Go go but I can't go but they won't go and finally go and no more protests it's the story of the Christian life that Christ calls us not to bring our obedience to him as if that's something we generate on our own by our own self starting characteristics our spontaneity our self-discipline our goodness He doesn't tell us to bring our obedience to him and then he'll bless us in response, but rather he says, bring your disobedience to me. 
Bring your hard heart, bring your heart of stone, bring your recalcitrant wills, bring them to me, and I will enable you to go. I want you to notice what what, uh, Moses brings to God and how it is replaced. Moses brings his ingratitude. God answers it with his sovereign salvation. Moses brings his insolence. And God's righteous anger corrects it. Look how it unfolds in verses 10 through 12 when, when Moses gives a presenting. The presenting problem that Moses comes forward with is, uh, God, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this task you're calling me to, to convince Pharaoh to let these people go because I'm not eloquent. As you can imagine, uh, commentators have all kinds of theories for this because there's not much more explanation given for what Moses meant. And it is a curiosity because in in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is recounting uh, covenant history, biblical history, uh, Stephen, uh, the deacon, says, uh, Moses was a man who was educated in all the wisdom of Egypt and powerful in speech. So what is Moses saying when he said, I'm not eloquent well, some people understand it to be he's, he's, he had a second-class education, that somehow, even though he's raised in Egypt, he, he wasn't given the full education of Egypt, so he was intimidated. Other people say he was, he, he, his, his Egyptian had gotten rusty, and he wasn't as fluent as he once was. Other people say it was a, it was a speech impediment. I happen to believe that's the case, and I'll explain that when, a couple of chapters later when, uh, when, I, when I preach on that text. But it wasn't, as we'll see in chapter 6, it was more than a mere speech impediment. It, it reflected a, a more profound sense of shame. But for here, it's, it, it, this seems to be obvious that when God says, I'm the one who makes your mouth, it, means, it, it seems that God is responding to Moses' very literal complaint, I I'm a stutterer, or I I don't speak very clearly. I'm not eloquent. I have an impediment. But that's not the real problem. That's the presenting problem, but that's not the real problem. And the proof of the problem comes comes with Moses' answer, if we understand it, if we look at it more carefully. Look back at the verse with me, the the text, verse 10 in particular. You're going to have to pay careful attention to your Bibles to get this point. Moses says, first of all, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. Now, my buddy Phil Riken, who writes a commentary on this text, says that Moses' answer in that one verse is both irrelevant and irreverent. It's irrelevant on the one hand because Moses is asking, is, is acting like God is requiring Moses to have a persuasive argument. That you're saying it's up to me, God, to go into Pharaoh's court and to convince him to let my people go. But that's not what God told him to do. God said effectively, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and here I'm going to write on an index card, what you're to say. You say this. You say, let my people go. That's all you say. You just go, you say it. I'm not asking you to make an argument. You go and say, 
I am that I am has sent me to you, and he says, let them go. Now, our protest can be the same. I can't answer your calling. I can't answer. I can't become obedient. I can't, I can't share my faith with my next-door neighbor or represent you in my, in my business. I can't make a sacrifice and give. I can't, uh, I can't pray regularly. I can't, I can't testify to you against opposition. I can't resist this temptation because I'm not strong enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not whatever. And God says, I never told you it would be up to you. I wrote in my word that when I unite you to my son, I will inhabit you with the Holy Spirit and the life which you now live in the flesh. I will live by your faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. I will live my life through you. Here is your job. You keep reaching for the means of grace. You you keep putting your place in the place of obedience and I will bring resources through you. When I was a new minister, I, th- I, th- I thought about that. I thought, here's a, here's, a, here's a teenage child who has tried to take her life, or here's a couple in my study asking for marriage counseling. I've, been, I've barely been married a year myself. How am I supposed to do these things? I don't have the experience. I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. And God says, I inhabit you by the Spirit so that when you go into any situation of need, Your weakness gives me opportunity to display my strength. Your protests of lack of strength are irrelevant. Do you not think I know that already? God says. But it's worse than that. It's not just irrelevant, his protest. It's irreverent. Now, this is where you really need to look at your your Bible. Look at verse 10. You notice here, but Moses said to the Lord. See how the printing is, big L, and then O-R-D are just a little shorter, but they're all capitalized. That's an indication of the holy name of God, Yahweh. But Moses answers, oh, my Lord. Some of you have, uh, pardon me, my Lord. But you notice how the different types setting is the typeface is different a capital l and then lowercase o-r-d that's adonai now we have to be careful making too much of these kinds of things but it is noteworthy that this is the first time this has appeared and god hasn't revealed himself as adonai to moses he's revealed himself as yahweh he's revealed himself as the self-sufficient one i am that i am It seems to me that Moses is saying something like this. The reason I'm not eloquent is you never have made me eloquent. You made me in the past. If you wanted me to do this, you should have made me eloquent in the past. And here we've been talking for, what, 10 minutes? And you still haven't made me eloquent. Oh, divine one. I think that may be the sense of it. It's irreverent. Irreverence is born out of ingratitude. Romans 1 makes that clear. Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness on the earth because they did not worship him or give him thanks. Ingratitude is at the root of our sin, our protest, our disobedience. 
it was here. Now you say, now, now Pastor, you're being a little too hard on Moses. But I didn't write this story. Moses wrote the story. Moses wrote the story about himself. Moses gives us every word. He knows how to spell his Hebrew letters, how to spell his Hebrew words. He wrote these words. He explained to us exactly what he said, what he, how he protested. And he's doing so in order to point us to the same source from which he gained his obedience. Moses' responsibility, his job was not to tell people, you need to follow the Lord as I do ever so exemplarily. But uh, rather, it was to say, don't look at me. You follow the Lord. It's why we come to church. It's why we come to worship. I told you some time ago, if we live together long enough, maybe a decade or so, all the skeletons will come out of my closet. Well, here's another one. When I was a new minister, I had a wicked tongue, even more, than, even more wicked than it is today. I was a gossip. I used to get together with a, a man who was supposed to be my accountability partner. We would make fun of people and cut people down. It was, it was wicked. And I was barely two years into my ministry. I went to General Assembly. I was sitting there with my friend. And in General Assembly and Presbyteries, we get the Lord's Supper served to us. We have a worship service as ministers. And another minister serves the Lord's Supper to us. And I was sitting there with my friend. And, and I was sitting next to one of my professors who was a great and godly example to me. And as the minister was getting us ready to take the Lord's Supper, he was reminding us, you ministers, you know, you're probably not listening to me. You may be tuning me out because you're so used to these words, but I want to make you aware that this represents what your sin did to Jesus. Your sin did this to Jesus too. And if you are persisting in your sin, if you are, if you are giving in to your besetting sin, then you are ignoring with ingratitude this sacrifice that was made for you and you need to come hungrily to this table and beg the Lord for his mercy to drive that sin out of you which you can't drive out of yourself. I felt like someone was choking me. My conviction was so intense and I begged the Lord, take this wicked tongue away from me. We went to meeting after that, after that general assembly with my friend, and I said, I've got to tell you something. He said, no, I've got to tell you something. He said, I felt like the Lord was going to kill me in that communion service for my tongue. And I said, that's exactly the way I felt. And the, oh, we are not guileless in our speech. I have to tell you, the Lord mercifully set me free from that level to which I had fallen with my tongue. I'm not calling you to follow me. The reason I'm your pastor is so that you can say, well, if he can save George, he can save me. And I come to this worship service every week just like you must, and to this evening service with the Lord's Supper, crawling here to say, Lord, unless you set me free with your righteousness, I can't be free. We bring our disobedience to him that it would be cured with fresh applications of the obedience of Christ. Now, the second thing that Moses tells us about himself, which is really unimpressive, is that, is that his insolence was answered by God's righteous but merciful anger. Moses finally gives up and says, uh, again, Adonai, O divine one, just send somebody else. And we're told that, that 
God gets angry. He gets very angry. In the, in the Bible, when, the, when, when it says that God is slow to anger, and Moses will reveal that later when he says, show me your glory, and God says, um, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. It's a very picturesque term if read literally. It means to be long of nose, to be long of anger. He has a slow fuse, has a long fuse. It takes a long time for his anger to burn from the tip of his nose back to his face and then into full red-faced anger. But Moses has gone back to, Moses' protests have caused God's anger to burn back to his face and he is indignant. So how do you expect God to answer Moses with this indignance? I'm going to, Moses, now I'm going to set you on fire. Or Moses, I'm going to create a gap in the earth and swallow you up. I've had enough of you, Moses. But that's not the way he answers. He says, verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And we take a brief breath. What's he going to say? Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. He's speaking through gritted teeth, perhaps, but he is accommodating to Moses' weakness. He is answering Moses' ungrateful, arrogant protest with mercy. Now, Moses is writing this down, to be sure, not revealing, not making, it's not very good press on himself. In part, he's probably answering the, the Israelites' later question, how did we get Aaron after all? This very incompetent imbecile uh, who, uh, who is your right-hand man who's supposed to be your mouth, but he never speaks. You do all the speaking. How did we get Aaron? Well, I'll tell you how I got Aaron. I, I, God responded to my disbelief and gave us Aaron. You remember Aaron's shining moment right after the golden calf incident? I don't know what happened. I threw the earrings in, out popped a golden calf. But God accommodates to Moses, he's merciful. He said, I'll help you speak. I'll give you your brother. What is Moses doing but pointing us away from himself? He'll tell us in Deuteronomy 18, look, I am not the one. There is coming a prophet. He will be the perfect teacher. And not only the perfect teacher, I mean, we'll, he'll essentially teach the same things I've been teaching to you just in greater detail, but he is also the obedient prophet. That's the one you look for. I'm not the one. And, and just to make sure, Moses appears with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. He stands there and effectively points to this is the one. This is the one. Moses is preaching Christ to us even in this passage. And Christ is the one to whom you come. Christ is the one to whom you must return. You don't return to the consistency of your own will. You don't return to your self-discipline. You don't return to the, to, the, uh, to the example of some other earthly figure who always lets you down. But you keep coming back to Christ again and again and again. And you start your week by doing so. By coming here to this place, morning and evening, saying, here are my loaves and fishes, which are, they really stink. It's my disobedience. Transform me into one who responds beautifully to your grace. I read a few years ago about 
uh, a man named Justin Cannon who lived in, lives in Washington, D.C. He'd gone there to be a writer, filmmaker, writer, screenplay producer, and he was a grand failure, so he thought. He just kept bumping into one wall after another. And he, 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 he quipped to his roommate on one occasion. He said, you know, I should just start, I should start a quitters club. And I'd make it uh, hashtag, let's give up our dreams together. His roommate dared him to follow through with it, so he put it out on social media. Come join the inaugural meeting, the first meeting of the Quitters Club. Here's the date and time. Here's the place. And to his great surprise, 35 people showed up. They were going to engage in a kind of funeral service to bury all their dreams together. There was a woman there who had uh, come to D.C. to be uh, an actress. Another woman who uh, wanted to be an artist, but she, she never could find time. She was so exhausted with her her daytime work. And another a person who wanted to be a writer. And, and But as each one told his or her story, they didn't receive permission from the others to quit. They effectively heard from the others, go. To the actress, they said, why don't you apply for one more role? To the writer, they said, why don't you, don't, don't give up and leave Washington. Don't move away from Washington. Why don't you apply for one more job? To the would-be artist, they said, we know you're tired when you get home from work, but just, just spend 30 minutes a day painting and see if the love for it doesn't return. Every one of the 35 came to quit. Every one of them left with fresh encouragement to go for it. You know what the church is? It's a quitter's club. It's not a club for those who have it all together. It's not a club for those, once you get yourself to a certain point, then come. It's a quitter's club. It's a place you are to come and worship and say, I quit trying to make myself what you want me to be. I quit trying to make myself worthy of your love and grace. I quit in my weakness so that you in your strength might get a name for yourself in the power of your grace. That's what Jesus means when he says, come to me and take my yoke on you. Then and only then, with one who is gentle and humble in heart, then and only then will you find rest for your souls. Come to him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Lord Jesus, we do come to you. Someone here or within the sound of my voice is coming to you for the first time ever. And they say, I quit. And it's a delight to your ears because you can say to them, I never do. 
I've provided all of your righteousness and I will provide your power to live a life that's becoming of me. I pray as well for the rest, the rest of us who must come to you again and again and again, quitting our own attempts to earn greater favor with you, yielding ourselves to you, that in our weakness you might become strong. We pray it in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.